Hi, and welcome to The Spear, a podcast by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI, and The Spear is our platform to explore the combat experience. Each episode includes a single, one-on-one interview with a guest who walks us through a particular event and their role in it. A battle, a firefight, a mission. It's a first-person account of combat. The episode you're about to hear is actually the first of two parts of a conversation I had with Ryan Hendrickson. It wasn't originally planned to be two separate episodes. I had asked Ryan to share two stories, and even though they're separated by six years, they really deserve to be told together. And as you listen, you'll understand why. But as we recorded, I started to realize that these stories are really important to tell, and neither should be rushed just to fit them into a single episode. So we're splitting them into two. In the next episode, you'll hear a really incredible and vivid combat story from 2016 the story of an event for which Ryan was actually awarded the Silver Star. But what makes that story even more compelling is that in 2010, during a deployment to Afghanistan, Ryan stepped on an IED. The explosion almost cost him his leg. Doctors thought he would lose his leg. But he fought through an intense recovery and then had to fight really just to stay in the army. That's the story you'll hear in this episode. He talks through the mission and the day he got hit and he talks about the aftermath. These are the types of stories that are really important to tell, but understandably, they can also be really difficult to tell. So I'm personally grateful to Ryan for the opportunity to talk to him and for his willingness to share them. Before we hear from him, just a couple quick notes. First, if you're not already subscribed to The Spear, remember you can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Second, just so you know, there are just a couple instances of swearing in this episode and some very honest but sometimes graphic descriptions of combat and the wounds that Ryan suffered. And lastly, as always, what you're about to hear are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. Alright, here's my conversation with Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan, thanks so much for uh, joining us for an episode of The Spear. I wonder if we can just kind of start off by maybe if you can give listeners a little bit of background in your, uh, especially in your military career. Um, yeah, so um, I'm, from, I'm from Oregon. I joined the military in 1997. Uh, basically, there was, there was no war. There was nothing really going on. Uh, my dad gave me an ultimatum. Uh, you're 18. You can go to college. You can go find work. But you can't stay here. I highly recommend you join the military because every young man should serve their country. So um, I went to the different recruiting offices, and um, the only people that were taking guys right away was the Navy. And you know, I got a, I got blasted with the, the usual exotic sports. Um, you know, the thing 18 year old boys want to hear exotic women and all that other stuff. So I joined the Navy, in the Navy for four years. Um, got out for a couple of years and then joined the Air Force. I was in the Air Force for um, five years. And then uh, this opportunity came along for overman career field to the Air Force. So we switched straight over to the Army. It's called Blue to Green. Uh, so I went Blue to Green, switched over to the Army. Um, ended up going through um, selection, the Q course, and uh, now I'm assigned to 7th Special Forces Group. Wow. So you, so you, so you, you were in the the navy first, then the air force, then the army. How long? How many years for each? Um, four years navy, five years air force, 
Well, you're definitely the first guest we've had on the podcast that has, has been in three of three of the military services. Um, so you're a special forces soldier now. Um, did, is that what you did right away when you came into the army? Okay, so you've been in the army now for about uh, ten years. You said after nine years in 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 two other services, and we're going to talk about two stories today. Uh, one of them is the more recent one in 2016, um, an event for which you were actually awarded the Silver Star, as I understand it. Um, but I kind of want to start with uh, there's a story from 2010 that I think you're you're going to share. So can you can you kind of set lay the groundwork? I guess where like where was presumably this was on a deployment. Where was the deployment? Uh, was this your first SF deployment uh, with the army? Um, you know any other kind of relevant information? Okay, yeah. So I, I finished up the Q course, uh, straight shot all the way through. Uh, my my language scores weren't very high, so they basically put me in a group that needed soldiers because they were heading out to Afghanistan next, and that was that was special forces. Um, so I studied Spanish and everything, got assigned to 7th Group, and um, went straight over to uh, 2nd Battalion because they were in next in the shoot um, for an Afghanistan deployment. I was basically in I was basically in 7th Group for maybe seven months before we actually um, checked out on our first deployment. Um, we uh, I ended up getting sent down south. I was in a ruse gun. Um, but we would do constant um, tactical ground movements over to the Helmand province where we would um, basically uh, drive Taliban insurgents out of the Jiju Valley, which connected, uh, it was the valley that basically ran into Firebase Cobra. Um, so being on my first deployment, um, plenty, of, plenty of fighting. Uh, it, was, it was something that I really wanted. I joined the Army for that reason. Um, a lot of action in 2010 during the uh, military surge, especially in the helmet. I think uh, everybody thinks about the helmet and Arugan. Um, But at the same time, I was getting my eyeballs opened up because different guys in our company and guy and third group guys and guys that I went to the Q course with all started taking IEDs. And this was something I didn't even know about. Um, obviously, I've heard of IEDs before. Everyone has. But I didn't. I, w- I wasn't familiar with it, and so my job as an 18 Charlie, I'm the engineer on the team. Um, I I assist my Afghans, and a lot of times I clear routes myself for safe passage of uh, the ODA as we're moving into a village or a compound or you name it. Um, it was uh, September 11th. We we kicked off on our mission. Um, you know, pretty pretty good day to hit up a mission and. This is September 11th, 2010. Yes, September 11th, 2010. And how long into your into this is your first uh, SF deployment, first deployment with the army. How long? How far into the deployment was this? I was four months into this deployment. Okay. So we had been on multiple missions, uh, numerous amount of gunfights. Um, again, it was a surge, so everyone who was in Afghanistan around that time understands what I'm talking about. Um, one mission in particular was we were we were doing a company operation, so basically five ODAs to um, to push the Taliban out of the Chuchu Valley. And my 
I think some objective was we were going to be moving in from one of they would be, and we would be pushing west um, through through a couple of different villages that we had had Overwatch on, but there was still freedom of movement for the Taliban if they wanted to. Um, again, the mission kicked off September 11, 2010, and uh, we made our way across the Helmand River stage. Once it hit nightfall and we were ready to infill, we started moving towards our first uh, set of first set of compounds and, and our first targeted village. So you said that this this is a uh, you said there are five ODAs on this mission. Is that was that something that was pretty common during this deployment? Um, because it was my first deployment, I can't tell you if it was common or not. All I know is this valley was very large, and so there wasn't five ODAs in one spot together. We were all gonna go ahead and push through the valley at different locations. Sure. Okay. I 
must have stepped off of where he was at. Well, I, I took two steps back, and then I pulled him to the side so I can get my muzzle in the um, opening of the door of the um, entrance to the compound. And the side that I stepped to, I, I stepped on a, uh, or a crushable IED. What does that mean, a crushable IED? So a crushable is basically the initiation. So you have uh, pressure plate initiators. Um, you have a bunch of, you know, there's the, it's endless on the initiation systems that the Taliban uses. Basically, the initiation system that I stepped on was it, it was a saw blade um, initiation system. So um, there was positive wire connected to one side of the saw blade, negative wire connected to the other side of the saw blade, and basically it had a, a plastic piece over the top. Maybe it was a cut open water bottle or something. It is buried in the ground, and the minute I stepped on it, positive, negative connected, and boom. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much what happened. It was early morning, September 12th. Were you the only one close enough to uh, have, have have been wounded by the blast? No. Uh, Nick, he took, uh, he took shrap metal. He was, he was bloodied up, but um, the front of the uh, blast, you know, hit me. It, it, it was actually the... I guess the amazing part, or maybe it's God watching over me part, was it was a 25-pound IED. Wow. Broken up into three cells. Everybody knows that 25 pounds will, will make you a pink mist. You're done. Um, only one cell went off. Uh, the other two cells low order, uh, which means that the plastic caps went off, but the, it didn't um, ignite the HME. So I ate probably eight pounds of the 25. Wow. So what happens next? Um, I mean, you know, I know that, you know, you can kind of kind of describe what some of your wounds were, but did you lose consciousness? And if you did, did you do that? Did that happen right away? So, unfortunately, I did not lose consciousness. Um, I, I begged and pleaded to, to the guys to let me go to sleep, but they wouldn't. Um, they hit me with morphine, and I broke out in hives. So I figured out there that I was allergic to morphine. Huh. They gave me a fentanyl lollipop, but the amount of, like, how scared and the amount of pain I was, I chewed up the lollipop. I didn't suck on it like you're supposed to. And so my medic was basically, I don't know why he had an allergic reaction, but I can't give him more pain meds because I don't know what's going to happen to him if I do. So, yeah, I, I basically went without pain meds. Um, they had to, the helicopter couldn't land where we were at. They said it was too hot, not coming in. Taliban's all over ICOM chatter. Uh, they knew they hit me. You could hear them celebrating on the ICOM. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Wow. They're laughing and coaxing us and everything like that. Um, so basically, uh, they, my team, my team picked me up and um, and started moving me back. Uh, I want to say probably 900 meters to where. Um, to where I could get picked up by a medic bag. Uh, that day in September 2010, they there were dudes getting hit left and right. So there was a resupply um, black hawk from the 101st that happened to be flying in our area, and they were like, "Screw it, man, we'll go pick them up." And that's you know that's basically how I got um, that's how I got out of the G2. Um, I 
you know, out in the valley. I'd lost a lot of blood, and uh, yeah, it was it was weird because I I was conscious for for everything, and I remember, like I remember, I had you know my legs when when I stepped on the IED and I looked down, my leg was basically. Um, if you're looking straight down your leg, you got your ankle and then your foot comes out and everything like that. Well, when I looked straight down my leg, my tib and my tib were poking out, but I couldn't recognize them because they were so white. It was the whitest thing I've ever seen. And then I looked over, and my boot was probably about six inches away from me. And I was like, I know I had a boot on when I came out here. Like, I know that's my boot. So I don't understand because your mind can't comprehend at the moment what's going on, but uh, right when I hit that IED, I thought I was going to suffocate to death because the amount of ammonia and dust and heat and everything else from the blast, you can't breathe, and you're trying to breathe and trying to breathe and trying to breathe, and, 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 and you can't, you can't see anything, and it's just like, it, it, it's just, it, it's the weirdest feeling in the world because you can't, you can't comprehend that that was you, so I thought, I thought Nick had hit it because the pain didn't hit me. And then I kept trying to get up, but I couldn't. And I kept trying to get up, and I couldn't. And I was calling out for Nick and everything like that. And then, you know, the dust cleared enough to where I could look down. And I was like, oh, no, this is bad. Um, What's the time scale um, when that happens? Like, at what point between the blast and that realization? Are we talking a second, five seconds, 30 seconds? Wow. I was in this, I was in this, this dust, ammonia, glass, tornado-like cloud, and it felt like it was forever before I actually realized it was me, um, because my boot was laying away from me, and I, and I didn't, you know, I was like, I know I didn't take my boot, you know, that whole rationalization, it, it, it again, I, it could have been a minute or two, I know, I know the first American couldn't actually get to me because there were more IEDs in the area for about three minutes. So it was three or four minutes before I actually, I had an Afghan trying to put my tourniquet on me and helping me out. But, you know, as we would crank him down because you're supposed to, um, when I told him to stop, it hurt. He stopped, you know. Well, so... The Blackhawk from the 101st, which isn't wasn't even a medevac chopper, right? It was a resupply on a resupply mission. Picks you up and takes you where? So, um, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, it was just a resupply bird. Picked me up and I was flown to uh, Terrence House, PK. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple guys that were in my company, they heard what happened and they were out there to, you know, because they were told that I was killed. Um, so they were out there to And they, they had me on a gurney, and they're trying to wheel me in. And at the 
So then they 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 take you in and did you have surgery there at Terrencout? Oof. That was like a yeah, that was like a real um that was a real eye opener for me. It was hard. It was it was hard. But you know, um I mean bad stuff happens all the time. Uh we we know that. So but yeah, that's that's I think that's the most defining moment of my military career was uh that right there. Wow. And that was still at Terrancote, right? Yeah. And then, so, so from there, you went on to Kandahar, and then, and then to Germany, presumably. Yeah. Okay. And then, how long was it before you were back in the U.S.? So what point, and I would imagine that, you know, you've got some pretty vivid memories from, you know, everything from the first moments through, it sounds like maybe those first couple of days. Um, I imagine that at some point that whole process kind of becomes almost a blur, but at what point um, do you remember there being a point when you worried about keeping your leg?
because it it wasn't completely detached off my body. I was considered a battlefield SMG below the knee, but um, it wasn't completely detached. And I want to say they were worried about infection or, or something. But anyways, they told me I would be losing my leg when I got to uh, Bill Turner Medical Center. And at that point, I was like, okay, whatever. I mean, it's, I just I didn't know what to think because you can't really think when you're on that cocktail of meds. Um, so I got to Brooks Island Medical Center, and uh, again, if you weren't going to get blown up in Afghanistan, 2010 was a pretty good year to do it because they were starting to push limbs southward. Um, and basically, when I got in, I knew I was going to lose my leg. I had, a, I had, I mean, I underwent 26 surgeries, but then the first set of sur- or first series of surgeries, um, they were evaluating like, wow. Wow. Um, yeah, 
initial evaluation over at the course three program in seventh group to basically show people I can still do this. I'm, I'm still a part of the fight. Uh, you see the continue on active duty waiver to basically push papers on a desk somewhere. Or maybe I can get out and, and go and go up to Fort Bragg and train, you know, train team course trainees or whatnot. But that's not me any anybody in a special operations. I mean, you know, you talk to a lot of guys, you're trying to get back in the fight. You're not trying to just survive or exist. And I told I told my doctors from the moment my command went to zombie on my hospital bed when I first got to Banshee to when I got back to seventh I will be in Afghanistan for the company's next deployment in 2012. They're like, sure, okay, man, yeah, good goals, whatever. Everyone blew it off. And um, I got back in November 2011. I went through everything that a normal guy on an ODA would have to go through to basically prove himself. Um, all the fit, I mean, and more, and more. I mean, you know, they, they tested me to the max sure that I wouldn't be putting the team in jeopardy. And um, March, March 2012, uh, I got the approval to uh, jump on a C-17 and uh, meet up with my company in Afghanistan. Wow, just 18 months after stepping in the IED. Almost leaving 18 months after basically having my heart restarted twice. Mm-hmm. And wow. they, um, yeah, there was a lot of guys that were against it, and I understand. How did the the team that you went to, how did the team react? Um, you, you know, like you said, you understood why some people might have a problem with it, especially if they weren't there to see, you know, you kind of being tested and, and put through the ringer to make sure, you know, your legs are going to hold up. Um, how did the team, how did the team react when they, when, when you got sent out to them? Wow. So was there, you know, you kind of spoke of this, um, you know, I don't know if it's confidence or like, you know, determination. Um, but was there any point during that 18 months, especially early on when you just didn't see any way that you could make it back to, you know, active duty, much less an operational unit? Just in a 
I was in so much pain. There'd be times when I would get out of bed and I would have to crawl um, to get to, you know, a chair or to have to get my wheelchair out from the corner. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be on my way back to my company right now, and I need my wheelchair. I mean, it was just, it was defeating. It, it really was. Um, but, you know, I, my dad, my dad had told me something, uh, you know, when I first got injured. I, I really, I really had this, you know, this victim mentality. Like, why did this happen to me? You know, what, what did I do wrong for me? Um, and basically, you know, my dad, he's, he's a, he's a straight shooter. He, he doesn't, you know, I mean, when he saw me in the hospital, he looked down, he's like, well, I figured, figured this would happen one time or another. Um, you know, you mess your fire long enough, you're going to get burnt. And he just shook my hand. We don't hug, we don't nothing like that. And, uh, he told me, he was like, you have, um, you have an opportunity here. He said, you, you got dealt a raw card. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to lie. This, this, this sucks. He said, but you have an opportunity here. And what you do right now is going to determine how the rest of your life plays out. He said, you can lay here and be the victim. A lot of people will say you deserve to be the victim. You can feel sorry for yourself. And you can slowly but surely become your injury. Your injury will be you. Um, or you can make this a momentary lapse in your life. You can use this injury to make yourself a better man. And you can, and you will, if you want to, you will become a better man from this injury. He said, but I'm going to warn you about something. Don't ever, don't ever give yourself the opportunity in the future to look back and regret how you acted right now. So you mentioned that the team that you got sent out to, there were a couple of guys that were pretty standoffish. Um, was there a process? Did did like over time? Did did people generally come around and say, "Look, he's he's not a weakness on this team. Um, you know, he's contributing exactly as we expect to." Did that happen during that first deployment? Well, so I guess I have, you know, kind of one last question about this, and and that's, um, is it, is it hard to talk about, or has it, you know, has it gotten easier over the years to kind of talk about the process? Because, like you said, you talked about some pretty dark days. 
Um, those are, those are days that you can't experience with anybody else. You have to experience him alone, which sometimes I think people have a hard time or it takes them a while before they get to the point where they're kind of comfortable trying to describe that, knowing full well that nobody that listens to that story is ever really going to truly understand, but that there's value in, in talking about it anyway. Have, is it, has that been kind of a process that you've experienced? experience and you can dominate it and you can change and you can make that the best thing that ever happened to you if you look at it and play your cards right and it's very easy to because i'm i'm no big name anybody i just i just had a dad that made sure that um i never felt that he wouldn't allow me to feel sorry for myself and and he gave me the option use this and and make this the best thing that ever happened to you or become a victim. And I like to talk about it with people because I, you know, I, I feel like I've done pretty good for myself and I feel that there are people out there that struggle and there's a lot of victimization in, in this country. And I, I, I do feel that the story could reach some people. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time and, and, and sharing uh, sharing that story with us. Hey, thank you so much for listening to The Spear. Remember to find and subscribe to The Spear on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss the second part of my conversation with Ryan Hendrickson in our next episode. Thanks again for listening.